Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So if you are got your Bibles open to Ezekiel, that's where we'll be picking it up there in chapter 1. And uh, I don't have much in the way of an introduction to Ezekiel, um, but we do want to. I do want to bring up a few things. First of all, who was Ezekiel? Um, Ezekiel, we find out in the very first verses that he was a priest. So that means means he was a Levite, tribal Levi. His father was Buzi or Buzzy. I don't know how you pronounce it, but he was of the priestly family of the Levites. Um, so Ezekiel was a priest. He lived in Judah during the time of Judah's decline. The the ten northern tribes had already been gone into captivity. Uh, Judah, um, the Babylonians were the world empire at that time. And uh, they, Nebuchadnezzar had already come and taken some of the people of Judah into captivity. There was three times that that Nebuchadnezzar came and uh, basically took people out of Jerusalem, out of of Judah, and brought them to Babylon. And uh, so he had already come once, and those first captives among them was a young man by the name of Daniel. And uh, if you know the story of Daniel, Daniel was blessed to the Lord and became very famous in Babylon. So by the time of Ezekiel's writings, Daniel had already become famous in Babylon. Uh, We, not too long ago, went through the prophecies of Jeremiah, and we also read Lamentations recently. And uh, Jeremiah was a contemporary of Ezekiel as well. Now, Jeremiah would have been older than Ezekiel, and although they both were prophesying to Judah, to the tribes of Judah, um, they did it from a different place. See, Jeremiah prophesied to Judah from Jerusalem. Ezekiel prophesied to Judah from Babylon, from captivity. Uh, the difference, there are differences between both Jeremiah's and Ezekiel's books. In Jeremiah's book, when you go through the prophecies, they're not in chronological order. So, you know, it's really hard if you try to say, well, this happened next, and then this. It's hard to do that in Jeremiah. Um, however, Ezekiel, he gives specific dates when the prophecies are given. So you can really track along chronologically in Ezekiel's prophecies. So that's about it for the way of introduction. Let's get into the chapter here. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chabar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chabar. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. So we're given... In, like I said, Ezekiel, you know, chronologically uh, dates his prophecies. We're given the date of Ezekiel's calling as a prophet. And we're told that it's during the fifth year of Jehoiakim's captivity, which we can go back into the history and go, that was 932 B.C. So we know the exact year when Ezekiel was called into ministry. As I mentioned before, there was three waves of, of, of captivities where the Babylonians came and they ransacked Jerusalem. They took captives away. Uh, the first one uh, mentioned that Daniel had taken cap- been taken captivity in captivity. Excuse me. The second 
uh, captivity or the second uh, invasion of Jerusalem, basically, Babylon or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar had taken about ten thousand of the most skilled people and leaders and rulers. King Jehoiakim at the time was one of them that was taken into captivity along with Ezekiel. That was the second captivity. The third captivity, or the third time that, that Nebuchadnezzar ransacked Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and that was it. That was, that was the third, and then they were into uh, Babylon for 70 years. So, this group of Jews, including Ezekiel, have now been in captivity for about five years. And uh, so, Ezekiel would have been taken captive when he was 25 years old. Now he's 30 years old. And the Jews were resettled in the Babylon in Babylon by the river Chabar. Now, to get an idea of how they felt while they were in captivity, Psalm 137 kind of gives us a glimpse into the mood of the day. Let me read a little bit of, of it to you. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept there when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us regressed mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. So in other words, they're mocking the captives. They're making fun of them and saying, Hey, come on, we want to hear some of your, some of your spiritual songs, some of the songs that you sang when you were in, in Israel. And it continues, it says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So you just you get a kind of a picture of the misery that the Jews were experiencing there in Babylon. They're in a foreign land. They've been that you know God had promised that they would have this. You know they're in the prom, they were in the promised land. God had promised to bless them if they had obeyed. They obviously had not obeyed, and now God had warned them over and over again. Finally, He's making good on His word, and they're now they're in punishment and they're in Babylon, and they're being mocked by their captors. And there's foreign gods, foreign idols. Everything is unclean around them. And so if you can imagine how that felt as a Jew, thinking back to Jerusalem and the good days and the things that, you know, when, when, when we were blessed, how things were, and now we're here. And so that gives you a kind of the sense of the mood there. How about Ezekiel himself? As I mentioned, he was a priest. 25 years old when he had take, been taken captive. But now he's 30 years old. So he'd been there for five years. I mean, it's like, you know, people said, well, you know, this is only temporary. God's going to deliver us. Well, five years had passed. God hadn't delivered them. And they're still there. And Ezekiel, 25 years old when he's taken captive, now he's 30 years old. That's significant because when a priest entered, when a priest became 30 years old, that's when they entered into the service of the temple. And so here he is in a foreign land. All, you know, it's like I'm at that age where right now, if we had been in Jerusalem, if we had been at the temple, man, I'd be serving the Lord in the temple. I'd be, I'd be fulfilling my calling. Man, my, my, my whole life's purpose is to be a priest, and I'd be doing that, but I'm here in Babylon, and they're mocking us, and everything's unclean around us, and they're worshiping false gods, pagan gods. So it kind of gives you the mood or the sense of how Ezekiel and the rest of the Jews might have felt during that time. It was a time, I think, of misery, hopelessness for the Jews in their captivity, and great disappointment. And especially disappointment, I think, for people like Ezekiel. Now, with the success of Babylon's military exploits, the Babylons boasted that their god Marduk, 
now ruled four quarters of the earth. In other words, Marduk was the world ruler because he had given them success in their, ba- in their battles. And so they're, they're, you know, they're worshiping Marduk. And, and, and you get this whole sense of everything is just not right for the Jews there in Babylon. And it's against this backdrop that the glory of the Lord burst in on Ezekiel's world. And the Lord revealed himself to Ezekiel. And the Lord gave Ezekiel a message. And that message is he had not lost control of the world. Things were not out of control, Ezekiel. Ezekiel mentions here the hand of the Lord was upon him there. That actually is mentioned seven times. That same phrase mentioned seven times in the book of Ezekiel. And I think God was continually reminding Ezekiel that his life had a purpose and that his life was in the hands of God despite what the circumstances were. Despite whatever was going on in his life, Ezekiel was being reminded by God, hey, you're in my life, you're in my hands. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Verse 4. Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it, and radiating radiating out of it, out of its midst, like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Now, in the pagan nations, they worship deities, they worship idols that were often the personification of the forces of nature. And, and so they had, you know, the god of the storm or the god of the sun or the god of this, you know, the god of the wind or whatever. And, and, and now Ezekiel's in this land where people are worshiping pagan idols that way. And he has this vision of this whirlwind coming towards him out of the north. And now Ezekiel is going to see the one who created the forces of nature. He's going to meet God there. And so the first thing that Ezekiel sees here is this whirlwind coming out of the north. Now the whirlwind is often associated with the glory of the Lord in the Bible. Remember Elisha. He, he, he was a, a young student prophet of Elijah, and, and God was getting ready to call Elijah home. And so Elijah's, Elisha was following Elijah around all over because he wanted to get that double portion, that blessing from Elijah when Elijah departed. And so Elisha, you know, he wouldn't let Elijah out of his sight. And finally, he's there one day, and he sees and he watches Elijah getting caught up in a whirlwind going up to heaven. Towards the end of the book of Job... If you've ever read that book, through most of the book of, of, of Job, Job, his friends particularly, but also Job, they've been speculating about God. They have all these theories about what's happening in Job's life. And after Job himself has been questioning God why bad things happen to good people. Have you ever asked that? God, why do bad things happen to good people? Job asked that same question in all the misery that he was going through. And after, towards the end of the book, there, God speaks to Job out of the whirlwind, and God reveals his omnipotence, his all power power to Job. In fact, Job's been asking all these questions, and, and at, towards the end of Job, God asked uh, Job a few questions. He says, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And that's just the beginning. For four more chapters, God basically reveals his wisdom, his glory through creation, and his omnipotence to Job. 
for four chapters. At the end of that, after all these questions God's asking Job, Job finally responds to the Lord in chapter 42. He says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes seize you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That was what was Job's response when God spoke to him out of the whirlwind. Repenting in dust and ashes. Man, who am I to question you, God? After God had revealed his power to, to, to Job, this same whirlwind is appearing to Ezekiel. I believe God's going to reveal His omnipotence and His power to to Ezekiel. So the vision begins with this whirlwind coming out of the north. Now, it was thought in that day that uh, God dwelled somewhere in the north. And they kind of get the idea from uh, the Bible, actually. Remember when Lucifer... Uh, went into rebellion. It's described back in Isaiah. In Isaiah 14, it says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That was what Lucifer was saying. I'm, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to ascend up into the mountain, you know, into the north, and I'll be where God is, and I'll be worshipped as God. And so they had this idea. So this this whirlwind's coming out of the north. And Ezekiel describes it. It's a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. So often in the Bible, God wraps himself in a cloud. We see that frequently. Mount Sinai, God came down onto Mount Sinai and met with Moses there, and a cloud descended on Mount Sinai. Back when the children of Israel were traveling, they had left Egypt, and they're on their way to the Promised Land. They get to the edge of the Red Sea, and they're kind of boxed in. They can't go any further. There's the ocean's before them, and they can see the dust clouds of, of Pharaoh and his army coming towards them across the plains. And, and it's like panic. What are we going to do? And the Bible says that God put the pillar of cloud that he had been leading them by day between the children of Israel and Pharaoh and his army. And the Bible says for the Egyptians, it will cause darkness. It's like a deep fog. They couldn't see where the Jews were all. So it's like, we, can't, we don't know which way to go. But then the Bible says for the children of Israel, it provided light. It just fascinates me, that passage of Scripture. I don't know if you've ever driven through a cloud or... Uh, you know, uh, like on a mountain, not, you know, driving through a cloud in the sky, but you know what I'm talking about. I, actually, I know one person's a pilot. He's driven, probably flown through clouds. But um, if you're on top of a mountain or, or driving through the fog, you know, every distraction is removed from you, right? I mean, you can't see nothing. It's just, it's just milky white. When I was uh, in the military, I remember uh, I was, I would, on weekends, I was stationed. I first got stationed up in Oregon, up in the southern tip of Oregon or su- southern part of Oregon. And on long weekends, I would drive back down to the San Francisco Bay Area where I grew up and visit my folks. And uh, I remember getting on Interstate 5 and uh, just barreling down that road at, you know, 70, 80 miles an hour. And uh, here they have, I don't know if you've ever been out in, in the Central Valley in California, but they have what they call as Thule fog. It's a low-hanging fog, but it's just high enough 
above your loves. I mean, you can't see. And it, it's thick as pea soup, and it's just milky white. And I remember, and as stupid as I was back when I was like 17, 18 years old, driving 70 miles an hour, you know, in this fog, you couldn't see like two feet in front of you, just barreling down the freeway. Well, everyone's going to be going, you know. Of course, you always hear about sometimes there would be a parked car on the side, and people think, there's the, there's the road, and they drive right into a parked car and stuff, and people get killed in that. So you get the idea anyways. Every distraction is removed from view, and the only thing that you can see is what comes up right in front of you. And, and I get this picture when it says that God you know, revealed himself in this great cloud, that God was removing all the distractions, everything around him. So Ezekiel couldn't see anything, but he just saw the glory of the Lord. I, that's the picture I get when I read this. It reminds me of that old song that we used to sing. Maybe, you've, maybe you know it. This turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Sometimes we get so distracted by the things in our lives that are just, it's just overwhelming us. And God just says, you know, take your eyes off of that stuff. Just look to me. Let all that, and, and as you look to the Lord, all that other stuff just kind of, it just fades away. And you just, you get a vision of the Lord. That's what I think was happening with Ezekiel here. So there was a raging fire engulfing itself. I get the image here of a large gas explosion. Have you ever seen like a fireball? You know, just it goes up into the sky and it just kind of rolls into itself as it's expanding. You know, that's the picture that I get that Ezekiel is seeing here. This might very well could have been the same pillar of fire that led the children of Israel in the wilderness. We don't we don't know, but it could very well be the same. Now, within this whirlwind of fire and cloud, Ezekiel sees more. Look at verse five. Also, from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces, and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. The hands of a man were under their wings on their four sides, and each of the four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. Now, I'm thankful for the Bible because, you know, if you read something like this, you could really, what, what is he talking about? We could kind of, with our mind, what we think and what we know of creation, kind of come up with what it must be that, that Ezekiel was, was seeing. We might try to, deter, try to uh, interpret it as to what it was. We don't have to do that here. Because if you go to Ezekiel chapter 10, Ezekiel has another vision of these same four living creatures, and he tells us what they are. He says they're cherubim. These are these angelic creatures that are before the throne of God. What's interesting to me, this happened in 932 B.C. when Ezekiel has this vision. A thousand years later, John the Apostle is on the island of Patmos, and he has a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he gets a vision of of God on the throne. And he sees those exact four same living creatures. Heaven, you know, it's not confined by space or time. Those creatures were there in 932 B.C. They were there uh, when John had his vision. And I believe they're there today before the throne of God. And I think someday you and I are going to be in the presence and we're going to see those angelic beings ourselves with our own eyes if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
You know, back in Exodus, God gave Moses the directions for the building of the tabernacle. And he gave him specific things, how to build it, how to design it, the ornamental aspects of it and everything. In the book of Hebrews, we're told that the tabernacle was a copy and a shadow of things that are in heaven. And one of the things that God told uh, uh, Moses to fashion were cherubim for the covering of the mercy seat where their wings were touching each other. And so you, you see, God was telling him to build this copy, and now here Ezekiel is seeing a vision of, of it actual in reality in heaven. So these living creatures... I don't know about you, but they seem kind of strange to me. I mean, trying to wrap my mind about around what they look like. You know, all what I have is a base of reference is creation, what I see in creation. You know, and I go, well, well you know, they're just kind of, they're bizarre. And yet, God created them, and they stand before the throne of God. And they always seem to be related to the presence of God in the Bible. They are intelligent creatures, Because in John's revelation, we're told that they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They're there before the throne, worshiping God day and night. They never cease. Verse 10, we get more description here. As for the likenesses of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. Their wings stretched upward. Two wings of each one touched one another, and two covered their bodies. So we get this in more of a picture of what they look like. Now, there is some symbology. There is some symbolism. There is some, I believe, purpose behind the faces and, and their wings. In Back in Numbers, the book of Numbers, God instructs Moses as they're, as they're traveling through the wilderness, God says, okay, this is the order of the tribes that you're going to go. And when you set up camp, the tribe of the Levites and the tabernacle, they're going to be in the center of the camp. And to the west, there's going to be some tribes. To the east, there's going to be some tribes. To the north, there's going to be some tribes. And to the south, there's going to be some tribes. And he tells them specifically which tribes. And he says the tribe of Judah is going to be the tribe on the east. And, the, and then Issachar and Zebulun were going to be with them. But the main tribe would be the tribe of Judah. And so their standard, they, the other tribes, the other two tribes would kind of gather around them and be behind them. And so you'd have the tribe of Judah on the east side. On the south side, you'd have the tribe of Reuben with Simeon and Gad. Uh, on the west side, you'd have the tribe of Ephraim with Manasseh and Benjamin. And then on the north side, you'd have the tribe of Dan with Asher and Naphtali. Now, according to Chuck Missler, I don't know how many of you know who Chuck Missler is, and uh, another guy by the name of Lambert Dolphin, they say that Judah's ensign uh, on its tribal standard, you know, on its flag, was the lion. Reuben's ensign on its tribal standard was a man. Ephraim's the ox. And Dan's the eagle. So it's amazing. You see the symbolism there. It says their faces, they had a face of a man, a face of a lion, a face of an ox, and a face of an eagle. And you go, I wonder why God had created them that way. I believe that God created them to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. You may say, huh? An ox and an eagle? A man? You know, and, and, and a lion, how, how, does that, how does that tie in with Jesus Christ? You know, if you look at the four Gospels, each of the Gospels in the New Testament 
They're, of course, they're describing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're describing his life and his ministry, his death and his resurrection. But each of the gospel writers look at Jesus from a different perspective. You get the book of Matthew, for example. Matthew focuses on Jesus, the Messiah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so you see the face of a lion represented there. Mark's gospel. Mark shows Jesus as the suffering servant. And that, I think, is reflected in the beast of burden, right? The ox is out there working the fields, pulling the carts. Luke, on the other hand, the physician, he focuses on the humanity of Jesus Christ. And so we see Jesus, the man, and you see the face of a man. And then John's gospel focuses on the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus was fully man, but he's also fully God. And God is depicted as an eagle, or as, as represented as an eagle. And so you see the face of a man, the face of an ox, face of a lion, and a face of an eagle in these four creatures. And I, these creatures, and I believe that's to reflect the different aspects of who Jesus Christ is. Everything, I think, is to reflect and to, to bring glory to the Lord as we see in these, these, uh, these, this image that Ezekiel sees. Ezekiel now in verse 12 describes how the four living creatures moved. And each one, verse 12, went straight forward. They went wherever the Spirit wanted to go, and they did not turn when they went. So rather than like cutting corners or turning in different directions, they just moved in straight lines. And if you think about it, these guys, these creatures, are not guys, these creatures have four faces, right? So one face is always looking at Jesus of their four faces, right? So they are constantly observing Jesus. And they're also moving in unison as the Spirit leads them. You know, if I was one of those four creatures, because I remember in the military, you know, when you're in boot camp, they want you to march, you know, and you gotta, you got to be in cadence, and, you know, you march to cadence, and you got to, you know, you guys know that we're in there, you know, you got to space yourself evenly and, you know, standing at attention. Everything you have to do in unison. And typically what I would do, because I'd be all worried that I wasn't going to be in step with everybody, I'd be looking at everybody else. Oh, they're moving, I better move, you know. And, and of course, I didn't, I don't think I made a very good soldier then in that regard. But, uh, you know, these creatures are not looking at each other like, oh, he's moving, I better move. They're all looking at Jesus. And when the Spirit leads them, they move. And they're all moving together in unison. I think there's really something there for us because these guys, these creatures, are so in tune to the Lord on the throne that they only move when the Spirit moves. They never take a step except when they see the Spirit moving. I think how often in my life, when I take my eyes off of Jesus and I start going off in a direction, I go down a rabbit trail, and then also I'm like, where? Why? How did I get here? Well, I tell you why. Because I took my eyes off the Lord. And, and I've, and I've, or, or I've compared myself to somebody else. I'm watching you and saying, well, they're living their life. They're doing that. Maybe I can do that. You know? And we start comparing ourselves to one another. We shouldn't be doing that. We should be comparing our lives to Jesus Christ. We should be keeping our eyes focused on the Lord. And when we as a fellowship, when we as a body, when you as a family, when you all have your eyes on the Lord, you're going to be moving in unison together. It's when you don't have your eyes on the Lord, when you either have your eyes on each other, comparing each other, or waiting for each other to do things, or you're just taking your eyes off the Lord. That's when people start going off in weird directions. So we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. That's what these creatures were doing. 
Verse 13. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning, and the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Listen to the description here that Ezekiel gives. He uses terms like burning coals of fire, torches going back and forth, bright light, lightning. He describes their movements quick, like flashes of lightning. And I think God is trying to convey something here to Ezekiel. First of all, the zealousness of these four creatures. They're continually moving. They're not just kicking back and resting. They're not sitting down. They're moving. They're always active, serving the Lord. In John's description, I read earlier, it says, They never cease day and night worshiping the Lord. They're constantly moving. You know, sometimes I see believers who have lost their fire for the Lord. And you wouldn't use these descriptions, you know, burning coals and fire and lightning and burning. You wouldn't describe their lives that way because they've gotten cold in their walks. They're no longer really zealous for the Lord. They've kind of gotten caught up in the things of the world. They've gotten distracted. And I've seen believers, sometimes they've grown weary serving them and their lives are in neutral. And you talk to me and say, hey, what's the Lord been doing in your life? And they really, it's like, that's the question they dread because I don't have anything to share. Whereas other people who are just, they're on fire for the Lord, you ask them, hey, what's God doing in your life? And they'll tell you, man, well, let me tell you what the Lord did today or what he did this week. And and you, you just sense that fire and that zeal in them. These living creatures, think about it, they're constantly beholding the face of God. And as a result, man, they're burning for him. And they're active for him. Verse 15. Now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a wheel was on the earth beside each living creature with its four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their workings was like the color of beryl. And all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they moved, they went, for, they went toward any one of four directions. And they did not turn aside when they went. As for their rims, they were so high, they were awesome. And their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the living creatures were, or excuse me, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went because their spirit, uh, excuse me, wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went because there the spirit went. And the wheels were lifted together with them for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Boy, I tell you what. I was going through looking at commentaries like, what are the wheels? What are the wheels? You know, and uh, everybody, it's like you could get, you could go to the 12 commentaries and get 12 different opinions of what these, these are. The next thing that Ezekiel notices are these wheels beside each cherub. And he says that there's a wheel inside of wheel allowing it to move in all four directions. Right away in my mind, I get a picture of a gyroscope. You know, the wheels, remember the little toy gyroscopes you used to play with? He says the rims of these, these wheels were awesome and they had eyes all around. Now, you've got to think about this. Ezekiel lives in 932 B.C. 
He doesn't have modern technology or doesn't have, you know, the, he wouldn't use the same words like, it was the bomb, you know, or something like that. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't describe it. You know, it wasn't like a jet airplane flying through. He would describe it in terms that he understood in his vocabulary according to the knowledge that they had in that day. When you, if you and I were to see the same vision, we'd probably describe it maybe a little bit different. So you kind of, kind of take that into account. It's funny because some people today, I remember back in the 70s reading a book called, I think it was called like Ezekiel's Spaceship or Ezekiel's Spacecraft. I don't know if you ever read that. But, you know, some people look at Ezekiel's visions and they think he's describing alien beings and UFOs, like flying saucers or something. You know, and the, and the movement of these creatures, they, they just go straight and they zigzag and they're lightning fast and they're moving around and they're burning and fire and stuff. And people go, look, that's a UFO. And you know, when you hear about the accounts of UFOs, that's how they describe it. You know, the, the, it's a, this burning glow, and they move real fast, and then they stop, and then they move this way and stop, and you know, and, and you go, wow, it, it fits. And I don't know about you, but I've ever I've looked at it before. I go, well, man, is there some correlation? Now, this is not biblical. This is just Pastor Don. Okay, so you can take what I say and blow it. You can just say that guy's full of baloney or whatever. This is what I think. Satan, Lucifer, was a cherub. In fact, he's described as the cherubim who covers. He was one of the highest of the cherubims. So he's an angelic being. He might very well look quite similar to these four living creatures. And he might quite similarly move in the same way or have the same characteristics of these four living creatures. Now, when he rebelled, he was cast out of heaven. And a third of the angels that rebelled with him were cast out with them. They're now demons. And, you know, this phenomena of UFOs that's happening more and more, this is, again, this is Pastor Don, this isn't biblical, I believe that it's demonic activity. And the Bible says in the last days there's going to be, there's going to be great signs and wonders, there's going to be spiritual deception. And, and I think when people are seeing those UFOs, I think that's what they're seeing. They're seeing demonic activity meant to deceive. And I think we're going to continue to see more of that as we get closer to Christ's return. So, I don't believe Ezekiel's describing UFOs or spaceships. I think Ezekiel is just describing what's occurring in heaven, even now, today, around the throne of God. So, Ezekiel sees these wheels, and they're somehow correlated to each of the cherubs, or cherubim. And they have eyes all around, and they move in unison with the Spirit, because the Spirit of the creatures are in the wheels. Um, I can't go beyond that to say, well, this is exactly what he's described. I, I don't know. But I can look at the sim- symbolism there. And the fact that they have eyes all around, I, again, I think that speaks of their alertness and their attention to the Spirit. They're constantly watching. I also think it speaks to Ezekiel and speaks to us about the omniscience of God. The omniscience, that means God is all-knowing. And, and, you know, God sees everything that is occurring in your and my life. There's nothing that, you, there's no way you can go, there's, there's no path that you can go down that you go, I've gone so far that God can't see me now. God sees you where you're at. He knows what you're going through. You're not so far removed from Him that, that He can't see you or he, he doesn't know what's going on. Nothing escapes His knowledge. The movement of the wheels, I think, also speaks of God's omnipresence. God is everywhere at the same time. And, and, you know, I think some of this 
Of course, this is describing what's literally in heaven. But I also think it was meant to minister to Ezekiel in a certain way. Because if you think about it, in in Babylon, the god Marduk, it was an idol, basically. So if they wanted to cart Marduk around, they'd stick him on a cart and they'd wheel him around in Babylon. And there's your god going down the road, you know, and stuff. And, and, and so here the, the Jews are in Babylon. And in those days, the pagans thought that gods were local deities. And so your God's back in Israel, so he's, you know, he's not going to help you here. Marduk's the God, you know, and we're going to cart him around. And, and I think God is revealing to Ezekiel, you know, I'm everywhere. I'm even here in Babylon in your trial and in your difficulty. And in your, I'm here with you. You know, no matter how far you feel from the Lord this morning, no matter what you've done, he's just a prayer away from each one of us this morning, believe it or not. Verse 22, the likeness of the firmament above the heavens, excuse me, the likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. If you read John's uh, revelation, John chapter 4, he sees around the throne something very similar. He calls it the sea of glass. It's like crystal. So I think this is what he's seeing there. Uh, Verse 23, and under the firmament, their wings spread out straight, one toward another. Each one had two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings." So we see that these creatures, they have four sets of wings. I was looking at one of the verses, and it seemed like they had six sets of wings, but four or six, I'm not 100% sure, but they have multiple sets of wings. And Ezekiel, he's watching this movement going on, and he can hear it, and he says their wings are like the deafening roar, kind of like a, a waterfall, like if you're standing next to Niagara Falls, it's deafening, you know, the mighty roar. And he says it's also like the voice of the Almighty. Because that's how God's voice is described as well. Then Ezekiel hears a voice from above the firmament, above the heads of the four living creatures, and he notices something very unique. He notices that when that voice above the firmament speaks, the four living creatures, they stand. They're no longer moving around. They stand and they let down their wings. And I think it's just they're just watching the Lord, and when He speaks, they're like stopping, like, we've got to listen. And they just have such respect and such reverence and such fear, godly fear, of who's on the throne. That when he speaks, they stop and they listen. And now Ezekiel's attention is moved to that voice speaking above the firmament there. Verse 26, And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone. On the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw as it were the color of amber with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire with brightness all around. God here is revealing himself to Ezekiel and his, his, the way he's revealing himself is in likeness to the appearance of a man. It's, it's like 
the appearance of a man. Because Ezekiel can't stand in God's presence and actually see God because he would die. So God's revealing himself in this way to Ezekiel. Now, if you take Ezekiel's description here of God on the throne, there's like four other passages you could look at. You could also go to Isaiah chapter 6. We're not going to go there this morning. But if you're interested, we just read this. Go maybe today, go and read Isaiah chapter 6. Then go to Daniel and read Daniel chapter 7, 9, and 10. And then finally go to Revelation and read John chapter 4. And if you read each one of those and they're pictures of, of the throne room and God on the throne, it's going to give you a pretty good composite picture of, of what is occurring there in heaven, of, of what God's throne looks like. Verse 28. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my voice. Excuse me, I'm reading this. I didn't, he didn't fall on his voice. Um, so when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. Interesting that in this vision, Ezekiel sees a bow, a rainbow. And whenever a rainbow is mentioned in the Bible, it's in conjunction with God's mercy. And I think God is trying to show Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I haven't given up on you. I have mercy on you. I have mercy on the Jews there in captivity. God had a plan and a purpose, even in what they were presently enduring. Now in chapter 2, we're not going to go there today, but in chapter 2, God had a mission for Ezekiel to fulfill. Ezekiel's life wasn't wasted in Babylon. But I think in order to prepare Ezekiel for his ministry, because his ministry wasn't going to be an easy ministry, We'll read about that next week. God says, I'm going to send you to these people, but they're not going to listen to you. And it was going to be a tough ministry, much like Jeremiah's ministry was a tough ministry. And I think in order to be equipped to do that ministry, Ezekiel first needed to see the Lord in his glory. And God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us this morning. And I think in order for you and I to be equipped to fulfill that, but we need to see God in His glory. We need to see who God is and that He is in control of things. You know, uh, I'm not going to get into the political aspects of it, but I've been reading about Obamacare because that affects me personally. My, my wife and I, we have to get on it next year. And uh, I'm just kind of holding back. And I think I'm going to be like one of the other four people in Minnesota that sign up here pretty soon. <laughs> You keep reading about these different states. It's like the District of Columbia, they had like five people that signed up for Obamacare. It's like, wow, really good. Um, right now, it's a disaster for our president and for his administration. I mean, it's, there's, you, you can't, yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't deny, exactly. You can't deny what's going on. It's, it's, a, it's a miserable loss for our president and for his, his what he's trying to accomplish and so now, and again, I, I, I don't want to get into the political aspect of it, but now he's, they're doing negotiations with Iran. And Iran, you know, we're worried about them building a nuclear weapon. And, I mean, they, they, by all accounts, we think that they are well on their way to it, very close to having it. And I think, and this is, a, this is my opinion, I think that our, this administration is willing to 
negotiate anything to get some kind of a win so they can say, look, yeah, we the Obamacare's, well, forget about that, but look what we've accomplished. We've got peace with the Iranians. And uh, I think it's just a smokescreen. And in the process of doing that, we're turning our back on our, our main ally in the Middle East, the only democracy, Israel. We're turning our backs on Israel. They're very concerned. They're very upset with what's going on right now with these negotiations. And, you know, the more and more we're heading into this next few years, I believe we're going to see some of this damage. You know, we might get another president in that tries to reverse stuff, but I think a lot of the damage is irreplaceable. You know, I don't think it's going to be turned around. And when you think about that, it's going to get pretty depressing. I think as we're seeing the U.S. becoming less and less of a leader in the world stage, there's a void there. And guess who's filling it? Vladimir Putin. He's stepping in, and he's trying to be the peacemaker, and he's trying to... And, and, and you look at that, and you go, man, what is going to happen to this, to our nation? What's going to happen politically? What's going to happen economically? What's going to happen militarily? And it can get kind of frightening. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking at this going, man, it just does not look good in the days of head ahead. And that's when I think we need to see the glory of the Lord more than ever. And we need to understand that God's on the throne. And that what's happening right now in the world, as scary and as, as, as dire as it seems, God has a plan and a purpose for that as well. In fact, when we get to Ezekiel chapter 37, I think what's happening with Vladimir Putin, I think it's tying right into the prophecies of Gog in Isaiah 30, or Ezekiel 37, the battle of Gog. I think we'll talk about it when we get to it, but I just see, I mean, you could take your newspaper and your Bible and you could read them and it's like, wow, it's just, it's fitting together. And if that's the case, that means our Savior is coming back soon, folks. Jesus is returning soon. And things might seem out of control, but God is still on the throne. How about you and I in our own personal lives? Maybe this morning you feel like things are out of control in your own life. And maybe your marriage is just, it's out of control. I just, it, things are just falling apart. Or maybe your finances, things are just out of control. I mean, I, 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 you know, you're just barely hanging on this morning. Maybe your job, you're just barely hanging on to your job or you've lost your job. Things can seem out of control in our own personal lives as well. But we need to remember God's still on the throne. And I think this morning, we need to have a new revelation of Jesus Christ for ourselves. And so I'd encourage you as we close this morning, you know, just ask the Lord, 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 I need to see your glory. I've lost sight of you. I need to see you this morning. And I believe if you're sincere and you really want to, you mean it, God's going to reveal himself to you today, this week. He's going to reveal himself in ways that's just going to blow you away. And it's meant to encourage you. It's meant to just, God's on the control. Just, just let, him, let him be God in your life. Let him, let, him, let him lead you.